We live in a world today that is not bound to the Bible for morality. Okay? One can choose how they live their life. We live in a world today that does not believe the Bible is true. Okay? They view it as many parts. They view uh, that many parts of it are just fiction. They're, they're just fairy tales. We live in a world today that sees errors and mistakes in the Bible. And, and these views um, that our world has have even crept into the church. Okay, not necessarily our church, but churches all around the world, Christian colleges and seminaries, causing the Bible to become just an ordinary book. Nothing special, certainly not perfect, certainly not the Word of God. In the section of Psalm 119 that I want us to look at uh, this evening challenges these views. It challenges the, the world's views. Um, we see the Bible, or we see what the Bible claims for itself, what it teaches about itself, and it, I think we're going to see it going right against the grain of what our, our world or how our world views the Bible. This section is not, um, this section of Psalm 119 is not the only section that teaches us how to view the Bible, but it challenges us in how we um, follow the Bible as well. So our passage for this evening is uh, Psalm 119, 137 to 144, and I, I will tell you ahead of time, I'm going to have, I believe, all the scripture up on the screen. The screen's on, right? See it? Um, and so you're, you're certainly welcome to open up your Bibles, but I'm going to be making use of, of the screen um, because we're going to kind of look at some of these verses out of order because I think they, it, it helps us understand where the Psalms is coming from a little bit better. But our passage is Psalm 119, 137 to 144. And the theme for this passage, the main idea, kind of what the, the psalmist is talking about, is the psalmist mentions several qualities of the Word of God and shows what place the Word of God has in his life. So we're going to look at two things, and we're going to break down this passage into two sections. We're going to start off by looking at the qualities of the Word of God, the characteristics that this psalmist is bringing out about the Word of God. And then second, we're going to see what place... The word of God has in, in his life. So those will be our two sections, and we'll begin with the first, considering several qualities of the Bible. So we're going to look at several. I believe there's four of them, and the first one is this. The word of God is the standard for living rightly. So as I have there on the screen, Psalm 119, 137 says, Righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your rules. And then Psalm 119, 138 says, You have appointed your testimonies and righteousness and in all faithfulness. So I've, I've underlined them on the screen. The, the word righteous and the word righteousness is a key word for this text. If we would have read it through, we would have seen it is repeated. Um, these words are repeated five times in this section. So it's, it's definitely something that the, the psalmist is trying to make a point about. He's trying to get us to focus on the fact that the Word of God is righteous. And, and we've actually seen this many times in Psalm 119 so far, but in this psalm, or in this section in specific, he zeroes in on this idea or this quality of the Word of God that's righteous. Um, this word righteous or righteousness here in this passage speaks of what is right, what is correct. The psalmist is talking about living properly. He's talking about living in a morally right way. That is what it means to um, be righteous, or this word righteousness. What is right? What is correct? And specifically about living your life. 
we find that the psalmist is calling God's word righteous. Okay, so uh, again, I'll just read uh, verses 137 and 138. It says, Righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your rules. You have appointed your testimonies in righteousness and in all faithfulness. And we see the psalmist begins by saying that God is righteous. So before he gets to the word of God, he starts with God himself in, in this first verse, and he says, Righteous are you, O Lord. He's saying, God does what is right and what is correct. In God's actions and his words, he does what is right. He's righteous. God can only do what is right, right, what is proper, what is correct. And even further, we could say that God has determined what is right, what is proper, what is correct. So true righteousness is found in God. He embodies righteousness. But then the psalmist moves us on and we see uh, a couple of times here that uh, the word of God is said to be righteous. We see this first in, in verse 137 I have there. It says, and right are your rules. So he says, righteous are you, O Lord. And then he says, and right are your rules. Okay, that word right that I have underlined um, in verse 137, interestingly enough, it's, it's actually not the same word uh, that is used in the rest of the, this section for righteous, for righteousness. Uh, this word right is slightly different, but we're going to see it actually carries very similar ideas. It gives, this word right actually gives us more of a picture of someone walking along, maybe say in the woods, and they choose the right path as opposed to the wrong path. So they're, they're walking in the woods, they're walking on a trail, and they, they have two options, and, and maybe they choose the right path, the where they want to go, they choose the right path rather than going down a rabbit trail that gets them away from their destination. As I was studying this passage, it came to mind uh, when I was running in high school. We would run up in Mount Gretna. And if I, don't, I don't know if you know it, but there is a lot of trails up in Mount Gretna. There's many and probably many that I'm not even aware of in the woods, in the forest. And, and there was different trails that we would run on. Some were, uh, we would call it a six-mile loop, so it would take you on a six-mile run. Um, some were, were eight miles, some were 10 miles, some were 12 miles. So if you chose the wrong path, you would, you would run a couple more miles than you were, were supposed to. So you had to choose the right path. And, and often we would follow a leader who would know that trail very, very well. That's the idea that this word brings to mind. It's, it's a word picture, this word right, of choosing the right path uh, to go down. And he's saying here, when he says, write are your rules, he's saying that God's rules, or his, his word, leads one down the right way. It teaches how to live rightly and correctly. And then, verse 138, we get the word that's repeated uh, several times, this word righteousness, just communicating again that God's word is righteous. It communicates how to live righteously, as it says, you have appointed your testimonies in righteousness. So the application, I want us to consider what this means for us that God's word, the Bible, is righteous. Okay, what does this matter for us? How should it impact our lives? Well, first, we learn here that God is righteous. He does and he says what is right and correct and proper, meaning he never does what is wrong. He never sins. There is no flaw in God's character. But we also learn here that God's word, that God's word gives to us or it communicates to us this righteousness. So God is righteous, he does what is correct, and his word communicates how we too can live righteously. 
It teaches how we can do the correct thing and say the correct thing. It teaches us how our character can be upright just like God's character is. A familiar New Testament verse that comes to mind when we're thinking about God's word being righteous or, or communicating righteousness to us. 2 Timothy 3.16-17 through 17 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and then it says, and training for righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So the word of God communicates this righteousness. It communicates how we can live rightly, how we can live morally correct in our lives. Again, just thinking about our world. So thinking about when we walk out these doors, the world that we encounter, uh, it tells us that we can choose what is right. Okay? It's up to you. It's based off your feelings. It's based off your desires, what is right uh, and what is wrong. And here we see this cannot be true. We find that right and wrong are ultimately found in God's word. So anything that stands contrary to the Bible and what, teaches, what it teaches about living rightly is wrong. So if anything doesn't align with the Bible uh, concerning living correctly, it is wrong. Wrong. So we as Christians, I think the challenge from this first quality is that we as Christians need to find our source of right and wrong. We need to find our source of righteousness in the Bible and nothing else. So not cultural trends, not politics, or what other people tell us or how we feel or what makes us happiest or what we think is best. But God and his word need to be the ultimate authority in our lives of living rightly. None of these other things, um, certainly if they align with the scriptures, okay. But the word of God needs to be our source for right and wrong. So my question to you is, is the Bible, that should be, is the Bible what guides how you live your life? What you do, what you don't do, what you say, what you don't say. Go to the second quality. The second quality that we find in this passage is that uh, the word of God is the truth. Okay, Psalm 119, 138, and then one. Th- 119, 142 says, you have appointed your testimonies in righteousness. And then it says, and in all faithfulness. And then we get this again in 142, your righteousness is righteous forever and your law is true. These two words are not the same word, this word faithfulness and this word true, but they're uh, very similar in, in what they mean. The word faithfulness just speaks of being trustworthy, saying that, uh, The word of God is true, okay? If someone says something, you have trust that they are going to do it. That's the idea here with the word of God. The promises that are made are going to come to fruition. The word of God is trustworthy and can be relied upon. The word true then is just speaking of what is fact, okay? It's true as opposed to false. So with both of these words, faithfulness and with true, we can say that the word of God is true. The truth, and with the the idea here is that the word of God is firm; it can be relied upon by us. Okay, we don't need to doubt uh, doubt it. If it says something, then it will happen. If it says something, we don't need to question the validity validity of it. You compare the word of God to your word. So I'd like you just to think about in your mind. Just pause and think about all the times you make a commitment or you make a promise and you don't keep it, okay? Oftentimes we do this, and, and we have really good intentions for that promise. We say we're going to do something, and then we just completely forget about that. I 
find myself doing that. Um, and I think many of us struggle with that. That's not what we have here. Okay, The word of God promises something, and it is going to happen. He's going to follow through on it. And that's the whole thing, the whole Bible uh, we can look at as trustworthy. So the application for us is we should have great confidence in the word of God. This should relieve us from thinking that we need to figure out what is true and not true. I've interacted with people who think that some parts of the Bible are true, some parts are, are made up, they're, they're fairy tales. That's not the case. Okay? The whole thing is true. The whole thing we can accept and have great confidence about it. This should cause us to accept things that might be hard to believe. So not everything is easy to believe. Okay? But this should give us the ability to accept things that might be hard to believe. Okay, and, and again, as I mentioned in the beginning, we live in a time where the Bible is questioned. Okay? If what it says is the truth, even Christians claim that some of it can't be the truth. But the Bible claims to be the truth. It claims to be reliable. And we see this uh, is the case as we look to, say, the Old Testament. And we see things being fulfilled in the New Testament. And, and the greatest example of this is the fact that God in the Old Testament made a promise that he would send his son. We see that very much so came true in the New Testament. So as the psalmist speaks of God's word, he's, he's given us um, two qualities so far that the, the word of God is righteous. It communicates what or how to live rightly. And then second, uh, we get the quality that the Bible is completely true. The third quality is that the word of God has no error. Psalm 119, 140 is where we get this, and it says, Your promise is well tried, and your servant loves it. Okay, this phrase, well tried, um, at least when I started studying it, is not what I thought it, thought it meant. So it's kind of a tricky phrase. Okay, but the, the phrase well tried is actually giving us a picture. This is a phrase that would use be used for when a piece of metal was being refined, which means that they were trying to get the impurities or the unwanted materials out of this metal so that it would become pure. And they did this with fire. Uh, that is the idea here. The psalmist is saying that just as this piece of metal is being refined, they're trying to get the errors out of it. The word of God has no error. It has no mistake. So when he says your prom promise or your word is well tried, he is saying that there is no errors in it. There is no mistakes in the word of God. So we found that God's word is the standard for righteousness. We've seen that it's true. And now the psalmist additionally says that the word of God has no error. It has no mistakes in it. For those that are readers in this room, uh, I am sure you have read a book that's been published, it's gone through a great editing process, and still we often find errors in books. Okay, It's just um, the fact that we're human, uh, that we miss these things. So books we read uh, often have some errors. The Bible has none, is what the, the psalmist is saying. So the application for us then is similar to the last point, but again, this should give us confidence. So when we open up our Bibles to know that there's no errors, to know that there's no mistakes, we can read this and we can trust this, we can rely upon uh, our Bibles. And then second, we don't have to be concerned about something being included by mistake or that something is wrong as the Bible is free from error. And then the fourth and the, the final quality in this first section is that the Word of God is the standard for living rightly forever. 
Okay, so we've seen that it's righteous, and then at the end of the, this section, the psalmist says that this righteousness is forever. Okay, Psalm 119, 142 says, Your righteousness is righteous forever. That's God's righteousness. And then Psalm 119, 144 says, Your testimonies are righteous forever. Okay, I'd like you to just think about your life. If we think about our own lives for a moment, we can be doing pretty good spiritually. Okay? We can be seeking to follow God's word. We can be resisting temptation. But the reality is, it does not last. We give in to sin. We disobey God's word. We cannot right now say that we always obey God or that we always live righteously all the time. And the psalmist comes back to God here, and he had said that God was righteous in, in 138, and now he says that righteousness is righteous forever. The idea is that God is always righteous, that there is not a day that God will not live rightly. There's no situation. There's no offense. So someone does something that is offensive to God. There's nothing that can go, cause, cause God to live unrighteously. Nothing can cause God to sin. We do not need to be concerned that God will sin or do evil ever, is what, the, what this verse is saying. He is righteous forever. Nothing will change that. We, you can think about your own self. Things can set us off. You can get really upset and you can sin with your words. It's not the case with God, is the, the idea here. And then we see in verse 144 that the psalmist again, just like he did earlier, he starts with God, and now he comes to the word of God, and, and he says his word is always righteous. And I want to bring out two ideas um, from this idea that God's word is always righteous. And the first is that God's word will never communicate evil or be corrupted by evil. So when he says the word, uh, God's word is always righteous, He's saying that we'll never communicate evil or be corrupted by evil. And, and this is just an amazing thought, again, like to compare it to our own words. So I compared some of this to our own selves. Now just think about your own words. And to do this, I'll have us uh, look at James 3, 9 through 12, which talks about our words. And in this passage, James talks about our tongue, speaking of what comes out of our mouth. And he says this about our words. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers. These things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So just repeating the first couple uh, of lines there, James says, with it, we bless our Lord. So we praise God, we worship God, we give thanks to God. And then with our, the same mouth, with the same tongue, okay, we curse people. We talk bad on people. We sin with our words. So he's trying to say that our words are definitely not always righteous. But here what the psalmist is saying in Psalm 119 is he's saying, that's not how God speaks. Okay, God's word is not like our word, where our words change. We go from really good words to really bad words very, very quickly. That's not how God's word is. It's always righteous. And then the second idea that I want to pull out here of God's word always being righteous is that nothing will ever trump 
God's word as the right or the correct way. Okay, if, if something else were said to be right, then that would render God's word wrong. By the psalmist saying that God's word is always righteous, that it is righteous forever, that means nothing else can take its place ever. Or a clear way of saying this is that if something stands in contrast to God's word, then it cannot be right. If someone says something is right, but it goes against the Bible, and the Bible commands against it or, or labels it as a sin, then it cannot be right. The Bible never needs to be updated or made relevant to address the world we live in. But what has been recorded in God's word is the right way of living forever. So application. Is this still on the screen? All right. Um, then we'll just keep on going. The application for us. So if it, if it doesn't pop up, I'd ask that you'd pull up Psalm 119 in your Bibles. Um, but the application of this point, that God's word is always righteous, is first, though the world may change its views on things, that does not mean that our views should change. Though the world accepts things it once did not, that does not mean we should accept things that go against the Bible. Though our situation changes, that does not mean that we should change the way we live. From this fourth and last quality, the Bible must always be our rule of living rightly as it continuously stays righteous. Okay, so we've seen four qualities. Uh, from this first point, we've seen that it's a standard of living rightly. We see second, that it's the truth. We see third, that it has no heirs. And then fourth, we see it's a standard of living rightly forever. Okay, and now what I want us to do is I want us to see how the psalmist, he doesn't only just talk about how we should view the word of God, but now he's going to talk about the impact that should have on our lives. So it's not just nice and all that we have these, we know uh, these qualities about the word of God, but they should impact the way in which we live. So if, if the PowerPoint isn't up, I'd ask that you turn to Psalm 119, and the first verse that we'll look at is, is verse 139. Okay, and the, the second thing I want us to look at is uh, the example of the psalmist. So I want us to consider the, the example of the psalmist. And, and the first way that we see his example is that the psalmist is angry because God and his word are dishonored. So look with me at Psalm 119, 139 in your Bibles. It says, my zeal consumes me because my foes forget your words. Okay, so this word zeal is speaking of being jealous for God's sake. He's speaking of an anger on behalf of God. And we see it's for God's sake and on behalf of God in the second line as he says, because my foes forget your words. So he's saying that his enemies do not care. They ignore God's word and do not live according to it. They don't do, they don't do what it says they should do. They speak in ways that go against the word of God. They live in a way that goes against God and his word. And the psalmist is saying this makes him jealous. This makes him angry. And so much so that he is upset and he's grieved by it. As he says, my zeal consumes me. Okay, he's saying that it greatly bothers him that people disobey the word of God. It preoccupies his mind and he's, he's very upset that God is not followed and his word is not respected as it should. So the psalmist's concern when he suffers, okay, where we see that he's suffering in some way, when he suffers, his concern is for God's glory, not his own. These enemies, 
If we think about this, he says, my zeal consumes me because my foes, he's talking about his enemies, people who are attacking him, people who are probably insulting him. That probably hurt. He was probably offended. But instead of being concerned about that suffering, being concerned about his hurt, he's concerned about God and his word being dishonored. So the application for us is I just ask you to think about this. How often when people are hurting you, is your zeal for yourself rather than God and his word? Okay, when people attack us, when people hurt us, we often get really upset that people would dare say that about us or dare do that against us. But here, that's not, the, that's not what the psalmist is doing. He is upset because of God and his word being dishonored. I'd ask it another way. How often when our enemies are attacking and offending us, do we not give any thought about God and his word and how they are, dis, they are dishonored? So usually God and his word aren't even in our minds that they're dishonored when we're being attacked. And I like how John Calvin said this as he explained this verse. He says this, We are too tender and delicate in bearing wrongs. So he's talking about wrongs done to you. And hence it is that if we are but touched with a finger, we are instantly inflamed with anger. Whilst at the same time we are but coldly affected at the most grievous offenses committed against God. So he's saying what I've already explained uh, with this psalmist. That when God, um, or oftentimes with us, we are really upset when people would offend us, but we don't even think about. And he says we're coldly affected when God and his word are dishonored. So the point here is that we need to have a zeal for God in his word. So the second, the second thing that we have here uh, concerning the psalmist's example is the psalmist cares greatly for God's word. Just making sure it's not back up. So just keep following along in your Bibles with me. See, the second thing concerning his example is that the psalmist cares greatly for God's word. As he says in Psalm 119, verse 140, he says, Your promise is tried, and then here's the psalmist's example. He says, And your servant loves it. Okay, we actually spent a lot of time, not that you would remember, as it was probably a couple, um, couple of months ago now, but I, I went through Psalm 119, 97 through 104, and we saw there that the psalmist's focus was loving God's word. So what we find in our verse now is he says, and your servant loves it. So I'm not going to go into a great amount of depth as I've already dealt with that. And the psalmist has dealt with that more specifically in that section. Uh, but just to kind of highlight what we saw in that section, um, and if you have your Bibles open, you can, could look there with me as it's just a few verses away. Psalm 119, verse 97. Okay, this is where he's talking about this loving of God's word. He says this, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. So in this verse, the psalmist gives the evidence for his love. He says, Oh, how I love your law. And then he gives the evidence of it by following up and saying, It is my meditation all the day. You can think about someone you love. You can be, think about something that you love it consumes our mind. You think about them. You think about them when you're not with them or, or you think about something you love or you like to do. It's in your mind. You're thinking about doing it. And that's what the psalmist is saying here when he says, oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation. He thinks about it. The word of God is on his mind. So for the person that loves the word of God, it's on their mind. 
The psalmist in this section, he goes on to show the outcome of living the word of or loving the word of God. And then at the very end, the psalmist says of this in this section, he says, through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. So in this section about God, of loving God's word, he ends by saying that he hates every false way. He hates everything that goes against the word of God. So for the person that loves the word of God, they're going to hate anything that goes against it. So the application for us from Psalm 119 verse 140 is I'd ask you to think, can you say that you love God's word? Do you treat it like other things that you would say that you love? Third, as we consider the example set in this section, we see that the psalmist remembers God's word even through trials. Look with me at Psalm 119, verse 141. It says, I am small and despised, yet I do not forget your precepts. So the psalmist is talking here of how people view him and how people treat him. He says, I am small and despised. So he's saying that people treat him like he's insignificant. People treat him as worthless. They disrespect him and they pay him no attention. And as we think about this, kind of goes back to that zeal that we already saw uh, the psalmist had. We see people, um, he not only has enemies, but these, these enemies are looking down on him. They're treating him as worthless. And we see that he does not allow his situation to be an excuse to not think on or obey God's word. As he says again in verse 141, I am small and despised, yet I do not forget your precepts. So application, I, I would imagine that each of us in this room at some time or, or even maybe right now, you've been treated wrongly. People have treated you like you were insignificant, that you were worthless. And for some, this might be a daily experience. But here, we should ask ourselves, when we're treated wrongly, do we remember God's word? Do we continue to obey it? Does our being offended take over and that's all we can think about? And here we're challenged from the psalmist's example that even in trials, even in sufferings, even while, while people are uh, making us feel insignificant, we are to keep the scriptures in our minds. Fourth, as we consider this example, how it should impact our lives, we see the psalmist finds pleasure in God's word, even through trials. If you look with me at Psalm 119, verse 144, 143, it says, Trouble and anguish have found me out, but your commandments are my delight. So here again, as we saw in 141, following the word of God in one's life does not lead to a life of ease. Okay, this next verse looks very similar to 141 as we get the words trouble and anguish. As he says in 143, trouble and anguish have found me out. These words trouble and anguish are talking about a, a hard, distressing situation causing uh, anxiety. The psalmist is not specific as to what it is, but we can just get the idea. He's, he's dealing with something difficult. And the thing I want us to pay attention to is how he conducts himself through it. Look again at verse 143. He says, trouble and anguish have found me out. And then he says this, but your commandments are my delight. He's saying that even though I'm anxious, even though I'm struggling, 
Your word is my delight. He's saying God's word is his desire. It's something that brings him pleasure in the midst of his hardships. So we might have expected the psalmist to say, trouble and anguish have found me out, and I would be pleased if it, if it ended. Or I would be pleased if they would be punished. Or I would be pleased if it would at the very least be lessened. But instead, in the midst of these difficulties that he's going through, his desire is that he would know God's word and obey God's word. So the application for us, as we think about this, is, is this is really a wild thought. Okay, when you think about going through a distressing time, and a time where you're anxious, you're struggling, the fact that you can actually delight in something. Okay, you can have joy in your life. The psalmist was distressed, maybe we could even say depressed, and yet he was able to find pleasure and delight in something. And that was the Word of God. We find that God's Word can bring us delight in our most difficult times. We find that we have a part uh, in this, though. Okay, so it's not, it might not necessarily come naturally, uh, but we see as we think about verse 141, we see he kept it in his mind. He remembered it. Okay, he was bringing it to his mind intentionally. So our job when we're dealing with struggles, when we're dealing with this distressing time, is intentionally bringing the Word of God onto our minds. We're not going to feel like it. We might not see the point. We might be tempted to think on other things, but we need to stay in the Word if we want to delight in it, if we want to have joy in the Word of God through our suffering. But we also see here um, that we should pray for it, that God can give us this delight. Pray for this delight. Pray that God would cause you to desire His Word in the midst of your distressing time. The last example that we'll look at from this section, uh, we see that the psalmist asks that he might comprehend God's word. So look with me at Psalm 119, 144. It says, your testimonies are righteous forever. And then here's his um, example. He says, give me understanding that I may live. The request to live is actually used differently in Psalm 119. If you're in Psalm 119, you can flip to verse 25. Psalm 119, verse 25, we see that this word live, okay, or, or giving life is uh, used um, by the psalmist to say, revive me, okay, refresh me. So look with me at Psalm 119, verse 25. He says, my soul clings to the dust. So he's saying, I'm low. I am distressed. And he says, give me life according to your word. So he's saying, revive me, refresh me. Look a couple verses back at verse 17. Psalm 119, verse 17, we see it's used slightly different in that um, giving life or living life uh, is speaking of living in obedience to God. So Psalm 119, verse 17 says, deal bountifully with your servant. And then we get the same word here. It says that I may live and keep your word. So here the request is to live or the request to live or to be given life is so that he can uh, obey God's word. So if you look back at verse 44 again, he says, give me understanding that I may live. His desire is to comprehend and grasp God's word. He wants to understand God's word more fully so that he can follow it better. He wants God's word to make, be made clear to him so that he can obey it. 
So the application for us is I would ask you to consider, do you desire to understand God's Word? Do you ask God to help you understand more when you go to read the Bible each day? Or do you take opportunities to understand it more fully, maybe by just coming week in and week out to listen to the preaching of God's Word? Do you study it for yourself and dig deeper into the Word? And then my second question to you is, why? Why do you understand God's Why do you want to understand God's Word? So you might say, yeah, I want to understand it. Okay, I come week in, week out. I, I read the Bible daily. But I'd ask you to consider why you want to understand it. Okay, the psalmist says again, he says, give me understanding, and here's his reason, that I may live. His reason is so that he could obey, so that he could follow it. And I'd ask us, why do you want to understand the Word of God? Is it just so you will know more? Is it so you can flaunt it around, even just so that you can teach it? Or is your desire to understand the Bible more fully so that you can live an obedient life? That's the example the psalmist gives here. That to grasp the scriptures, he's wanting this so that he can obey the word of God. So in conclusion, we should walk away tonight with a renewed confidence and reliance on God's word. Realizing that it is the standard for righteousness forever. And everything in it is fact, it is correct. As we saw these qualities. God's word is like no other book. The Bible is is just on a, a, on a level all by itself. No other book can claim to be righteous. No other book can claim to be completely true. And no other book can claim to be perfect. Knowing this should ultimately drive us to our Bibles. That's how the psalmist, the psalmist reflects upon these qualities, what the Word of God is, and it drives him to want to follow it, to want to know it better. So it should drive us to read it, to meditate on its words, delighting it in it and seeking to obey it. So as we close, my question to you is how will you respond to this consideration of the word of God this evening? Let's close with a word of prayer. Lord, I just thank you for this passage of Psalm 119. And Lord, I thank you for how it uh, has taught us uh, how we should look and view your word. That this is a book that is like no other that it is true, it's completely true. Every single word, every single passage uh, is the truth. Lord, I just thank you for communicating to us and teaching us in your word how we can live rightly, that it's not a mystery, uh, we, it's not something that we need to figure out on our own, but your word communicates how we can live a godly life. And Lord, I pray that we would search the scriptures, that we would study them, that we would read them, so that we could do exactly that and live rightly. Lord, help us to follow the example of the psalmist, especially as we deal with trials, as we deal with things that make us anxious and, and distress us. I pray that we would run to your word, that we would remember it, that we would think on it, that we would delight in it, and that we would seek to understand it more so that we would obey you. Lord, I thank you for this passage, and I pray, Lord, that this study would just drive us to our Bibles, to read them more if we're not doing so already. Uh, to seek to understand them, and ultimately to, to apply them uh, to our lives. We thank you for your word. And in your name I pray. Amen.